Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Watching a weekend winter storm. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. I'm Mark Webster. That's exactly what meteorologist Kevin Williams is doing for us. A storm that promises significant snowfall in parts of the area with a focus on portions of central and eastern Pennsylvania and the eastern southern tier of New York in the Saturday night, Sunday morning time frame. Kevin's full forecast later in this newscast. From cold weather to global hotspots, and there are plenty of them, one of which is right on America's southern border, which saw more than 300,000 migrant encounters last month alone. The ongoing crisis there prompted a visit by House Speaker Mike Johnson and fellow Republicans. On his first day in office, President Biden Biden came in and issued executive orders that began this chaos. Remaining Mexico is, is one of them. But Senator Chuck Schumer says the answers won't be found in Texas. Very nice that they have a trip to the border, but the only way to solve this is here, working in a bipartisan way. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. The system is broken and it is also underfunded. We need Congress to fix the system and we need the resources to administer it. Mexico is stepping up its aid to the U.S. with more deportation flights to Venezuela. This expert says there's a good reason we're seeing more Mexican help right now. It's the last pitch in the last few months of the administration to establish themselves as some kind of international negotiator. Rice University professor Tony Payen. There's also a legal fight going on between Texas and the Biden administration over a new Texas law. The law was signed last month giving judges the right to remove non-citizens from the country and mandating that law enforcement officers carry out the order. Reporter L.P. Phillips, Texas law SB4 due to take effect in March. The Department of Justice is suing Texas, asking a federal judge to block it. Next to the Middle East, where there are new developments, a drone strike on a vehicle in Baghdad has killed a high-ranking commander of an Iraq backed militia. The airstrike took place in central Baghdad, according to Iraqi officials. It comes as Israel's war with Hamas continues, and Iranian-backed militias have stepped up attacks on bases housing U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria. CBS's Cammie McCormick, there have been more than a hundred such attacks since the October 7th Hamas attack on Israel. And a drone strike on an Iranian-backed militia headquarters in Baghdad has killed at least four militants there. This all comes as Secretary of State Anthony Blinken returns to the troubled region. There are reports of an active shooter and multiple deaths at a school in Iowa. Few details thus far about the situation at Perry High School in Perry, Iowa. It's a city of about 8,000 people just northwest of Des Moines. Former President Clinton is among the names that appear in the first batch of unsealed documents from the Jeffrey Epstein sex trafficking case. Other names there include Michael Jackson, lawyer Alan Dershowitz, Britain's Prince Andrew, and magician David Copperfield. But it Attorney Joseph Telly says people shouldn't be rushing to judgment just because those names are listed there. Not everything that he did was criminal. He did a lot of philanthropical work. So it could mean that he did legitimate work uh, with people who were out to do something good. The documents list four trips former President Clinton took on Epstein's private jet in the early 2000s. Lawyers for former President Donald Trump have, as expected, asked the U.S. Supreme Court to force Colorado to put him back on its 2024 presidential primary ballot. Election law expert David Betker. They'll move quickly to try to resolve this case, hopefully on the merits, as quickly as possible, so that the entire nation will know whether or not under the 14th Amendment Donald Trump is qualified to run for the 
the presidency. Well, among those anxiously awaiting the result of Trump's appeal, the rest of the Republican field. The clock is ticking down for Trump's opponents. Tricky Nikki. And the attacks are picking up. Ron DeSantis is lying. Literally every commercial he's running in Iowa, it's a lie. And he's lying because he's losing. The two lying for second place, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, are targeting each other as Trump remains far ahead. CBS's Ed O'Keefe. Well, what happens in Vegas doesn't always stay in Vegas. It was a wild scene in a Las Vegas courtroom. <laughs> a defendant being sentenced lunged over the bench and attacked the judge. A fight ensued. A courtroom marshal needed hospital treatment. It was a felony battery case, and now the 30-year-old man faces additional charges. CBS's Steve Kathan. Now, for some of us, a new year means a new diet, raising the age-old question, which one works best? U.S. News & World Report asked 43 experts to weigh the pros and cons of the 30 most popular diets. The best... Number one is the Mediterranean diet, followed by the DASH diet is number two, and number three is the MIND diet, which is a combination. Magazine Health Editor Gretel Schuler And the worst? They have a huge dependence on pre-made meal replacements and shakes, so you're never allowing yourself to really learn healthy eating patterns. Well, Starbucks probably isn't under healthy eating patterns, but customers there can now use their own clean, personal cups when placing drive through and mobile orders. The coffee chain says it's part of the company's initiative to reduce waste by 50% by 2030. <laughs> And for all of us who spent way too much time playing Tetris when it first came out, believe it or not, there is such a thing as winning at Tetris. At least there is for 13-year-old Willis Gibson of Oklahoma, who took on the Nintendo version of Tetris and beat the machine, making it to a kill screen at level 157. <laughs> He was pretty excited about it. There's apparently a glitch in the Tetris coating that won't let the game go past that level. The teen, who goes by the nickname Blue Scooty on social media, is at red hot now. He was in disbelief, and so is the gaming world, since the block-stacking game was considered unbeatable. The makers of Tetris call it an extraordinary achievement. Still to come on the Noon Report, masking requirements returning to some New York hospitals, the return of hooked-on phonics, and amid the dreary winter, the return of the Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania Farm Show. Good afternoon. I'm Kevin Williams. A colder air mass is settling into the region now, teeing up what could be some significant snow for portions of the region come this weekend. Forecast details are coming up. All right, thanks, Kevin. Now checking the stories making news where you live in New York and Pennsylvania. Some area hospitals are asking you to please mask up again. Family Life's Sarah Harnish details. Upstate Hospital in Syracuse started the mask requirement a couple of months ago, and now you can add Arnett Health to the list in the southern tier. Hospital officials there are limiting visitors and requiring masks until January 18th because of a nasty post-holiday spike in the flu, COVID-19, and RSV. 31 states are now reporting high levels of flu-like illnesses. Experts say they expect the flu and COVID-19 to spike by the end of the month and then drop. This year's strain doesn't cause as many deaths and hospitalizations as previous years. Sarah Harnish, Family Life News. Uh, thank you, Sarah. Mohawk Valley Health System has also reinstituted temporary masking requirements. Public school students in the Empire State could once again become hooked on phonics. Family Life's Greg Gillespie with an update on Governor Hochul's $10 million plan to overhaul how schools teach reading skills. The New York State education curriculum will return to phonics-based education, which emphasizes the sounds of letters to help students learn to read. 
A recent study shows four in ten black and Latino children in upstate New York struggle with their reading skills. Some family advocates point to additional research that shows it's not race or ethnicity that affects school performance, but on how involved parents are in the child's education. Greg Gillespie, Family Life News. All right, thank you, Greg. Out-migration is another growing issue for New York, with a reduced tax base and reduced congressional representation among the many problems it presents. Democratic Assemblyman Angela Santa Barbara and Republican Senator Jim Tedisco are sponsoring bills calling for creation of a commission to study the problem and come up with some solutions. Tedisco says they have to ask some basic questions. This is the most important question. Why are you thinking about, why are your relatives thinking about, why did some of your loved ones leave? Santa Barbara says one avenue is identifying things that make New Yorkers retire elsewhere. Other states do not tax pension payouts. It's, it's, it's a simple change that we could be competitive with these 15 other states that already do this. From April 2020 to July 2023, New York lost 631,000 residents. Last year, the state also lost a congressional seat. The trial of a man accused of attacking author Salman Rushdie has been postponed. Jury selection in the Hadi Matar case was supposed to start this Monday, but it's now been pushed back so his lawyers can subpoena materials from Rushdie's upcoming book, where he discusses the 2022 assault. Tolls on the Pennsylvania Turnpike are about to be driven up once again. According to the Pennsylvania Turnpike Commission, $170 million in tolls has gone unpaid in 2023. The price of tolls on the PA Turnpike increases every single year to pay for the debt, and another increase is on the horizon, as a 5% increase will take effect on January 7th for both EasyPass and pay-by-plate drivers. That increase will continue to fund Act 44 of 2007, which required the Turnpike to pay PennDOT hundreds of millions of dollars to fund roadways across the state. The Commission also saw a $15 million increase in unpaid toll-by-plate costs during the past two years. Brian Query, Family Life News. All right, thank you very much, Brian. Now, did you notice there's been a four-cent decrease in gas? Gas prices in Pennsylvania. This after lawmakers dropped a bit of the gas tax to try to save residents some cash. So we asked some drivers, does that four cents really matter? Oh, it definitely does. It definitely does. Because that's going to add up over time. I look at the price of that all four and see which one of the four do I want to go to. It does. Well, you put, you know, 15 gallons of gas, it, it adds up. It should go down more. Well, right now, Pennsylvania drivers are paying about three thirty-eight a gallon. In New York, three thirty-one. President Joe Biden will be flying, not driving, as he returns to Pennsylvania to give his first speech of 2024. He's set to speak near Valley Forge tomorrow on the third anniversary of the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol. He'll probably harp on that theme. Friday's speech was initially scheduled for Saturday, but was moved due to a forecast winter storm that we told you about earlier. A big change is underway in one of downtown Erie, Pennsylvania's more prominent buildings, Gannon University's Highmark Events Center, previously known as Gannon Auditorium and then as the Hammermill Center, will be closed until early next year to allow for extensive renovations. Gannon University President Walter Iwanenko tells Jet TV. This has been planning for about two years. So planning started uh, a while ago when we were talking about uh, this facility needing an upgrade. We've got a fantastic partner in Highmark, which helped make this all happen. Gannon Athletic Director Lisa Goddard-McGurk says the university's athletic success warrants a nicer arena to better reflect that success. Look around at the various banners. There has been a lot of, you know, uh, championships and just excitement here at this facility. So, and, and beyond that, just been a pillar in the community. 
Built back in 1949, the center will have its arena, lobby, and locker rooms all completely updated. In the meantime, Gannon indoor sports teams have begun using the Haggerty Family Events Center instead. Well, winter doesn't bring farming to mind, but the Pennsylvania Farm Show is getting set to open in less than 48 hours. Agriculture in Pennsylvania is the number one industry. Hundreds of livestock exhibits and the return of the popular baby goats. Crawl over you, he'll lay on you, you can pet him. Um, he might nibble on your hair a little bit, but it's just a real hands-on experience. This experience uh, this year, the focus will be on how our food gets to the grocery store. You see what we produce, who produces it, where we do it. The fan favorite food court has some new items this year, salted caramel milkshakes and potato cakes. Potatoes are a celebrity for that week. Indeed, goat nibbles, potato comfort, and a half million people all at the Pennsylvania Farm Show in Harrisburg that kicks off this weekend. Well, in sports, goat means greatest of all time. Here's Randy. Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Mark, we begin at the Garden in New York as Julius Randle scored 35 points and Jalen Brunson had 31. He also dished out 13 assists as the Knicks prevailed over the Chicago Bulls, 116 to 100. In Houston, the Nets dropped their fifth in a row, falling to the Rockets, 112 to 101. The Cavs pummeled Washington, 140 to 101. In a high-scoring affair, the Hawks ended the Thunder's five-game winning streak, 141 to 138. Indiana came out on top of Milwaukee, 142 to 130. The Raptors, 116 to 111, winners over the Grizzlies. The T-Wolves fell to New Orleans, 117 to 106. The Mavs beat the Trailblazers, 126 to 97. The Suns lost to the Clippers, 131 to 122. In Utah, the Jazz put up 154 points, and they needed most of them to beat the Pistons, 154 to 148. Not much defense in that one. In Los Angeles, the Lakers continued to stumble, falling to the Heat, 110 to 96. And the Kings eked out a 138-135 win over the Magic. Just two games on the docket in the National Hockey League. New Jersey doubled up Washington 6-3. And the Maple Leafs were 2-1 overtime winners against Anaheim. In football, quarterbacks Brock Purdy and Tua Tagovailoa, first-time Pro Bowl selections. Two of the first Dolphin quarterback to be selected since Dan Marino got the starting nod in 1995. And this is the first time since 1999 that the two starting quarterbacks are first-time selections. Back then, it was Peyton Manning and Kurt Warner. They ended up being pretty good. That is a look at sports. All right, thank you very much, Randy. Still to come on the Noon Report, we will recap the day's top stories for you and have a look at how church attendance is and isn't snapping back after the pandemic. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Recently in Vox, journalist Rachel Cohen attempted to explain how, quote, millennials learn to dread motherhood. Noting the troubling drop in global fertility rates, Cohen spoke to dozens of women about whether they hope to become or hope to avoid becoming moms. Here's what she said, quote, Today the question of whether to have kids generates anxiety far more intense than your garden variety ambivalence. For too many, it inspires dread. I know some women who have decided to forego motherhood altogether, not out of an empowered certainty that they want to remain child-free, but because the alternative seems impossibly daunting 
daunting. Others are still choosing motherhood, but with profound apprehension that it will require them to sacrifice everything that brings them pleasure, end quote. Now, at least part of the dynamic at work here has to be cultural. Our technologies and evolving social norms have created the impression that the choice to become a parent is simply one among many lifestyle choices that we can make, such as whether to buy or rent a home or whether or not to get a dog. And like those choices, we make this choice to have children or not based on things like convenience, enjoyment, personal fulfillment. It should be no surprise then when motherhood lands on the losing side of this evaluation. Now, this is rooted in a narrative that itself has roots in second wave feminism. Unlike early feminism, which was largely about correcting social injustices and pursuit of equal rights for women, second and especially third wave feminism went further, presuming that a woman's value is found entirely in how she compares to and competes with men. In the process, women's fertility was in many ways pathologized, treated as a bug rather than a feature of being a woman. However, rather than liberating women as promised, one of the consequences of this brand of feminism is fear. Women have been led to believe that having children will destroy their lives, or at least the possibility of fulfillment and happiness. This narrative is dominant, especially among the young, many of whom feel stigma from finding any joy in motherhood whatsoever. And Cohen described as much in a remarkable section of her Vox article. Quote, when I started asking women about their experiences as mothers, I was startled by the number who sheepishly admitted and only after being pressed, that they had pretty equitable arrangements with their partners and even loved being moms, but were unlikely to say any of that publicly. Doing so, they thought, could seem insensitive to those whose experiences were not as positive, end quote. According to a 2022 Pew Research report, 80% of parents say that having children is enjoyable and rewarding, and strangely enough, those most likely to rate parenthood highly were low-income parents. Still, if marriage and having children is seen as merely one means to pleasure, we'll be disappointed whenever those things are difficult or painful or boring, as they sometimes even often are. On the other hand, if life does have meaning beyond comfort and pleasure, then it's possible that something can be both difficult and worth pursuing at the same time. Now, remarkably, the Vox piece about motherhood is conspicuously silent about one crucial factor to this experience of childbearing, marriage. Cohen writes as if having children is a choice that's laid squarely at the feet of women alone, as if marriage and babies have nothing whatsoever to do with each other. Just as the ability to bear children is part of God's design for women, having children is an inherent part of God's design for marriage. Pursuing children outside of this design will, of course, be more painful and more difficult than it was ever meant to be. And so anyone who feels childbearing to be too daunting to choose should look instead to the psalmist's promise that if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he'll give us the desire desires of our heart. What they may find in the end is that God will give them the grace to desire children after all. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. For more resources to live like a Christian today, go to breakpoint.org. All right, now let's check in with meteorologist Kevin Williams. For this afternoon, colder and brisk. Lake flurries for some, breaking clouds and some sun for others. Temperatures steady or slowly falling. Most of us will wind up in the 20s. Dropping tonight toward 20. Some flurries near Lake Ontario. Just some clouds and mixed skies and starlight elsewhere. Tomorrow, some sunshine high in the 30s. Saturday, any up cloudy snow will arrive in the afternoon in Pennsylvania. Spread into New York State at night. High temperatures Saturday in the 30s. Thank you very much, Kevin. 
I'm Mark Webster. This is the Noon Report here on Family Life. Thank you again for joining us. Here's a recap of some of the top stories this day. Officials confirm reports of a shooting at a high school in Iowa. That scene is still unfolding at Perry High School, about 40 miles northwest of Des Moines. A couple of TV crews have said they've seen multiple ambulances arriving and then leaving the scene. Unconfirmed reports that the shooter is injured. Parts of the Northeast prepping for the first major winter storm they've seen in quite some time, although meteorologists David Parkinson says it's not looking quite as formidable as it did just a few days ago. It is looking less likely that major cities along the I-95 corridor are going to be seeing meaningful snow out of this storm system. In fact, it's even possible that most cities actually don't see any accumulating snow. However, some of that snow could make its way into interior parts of Pennsylvania. We'll check in again with meteorologist Kevin Williams a little later for his updated forecast for the Family Life listening area. Who broke America's southern border and how do we fix it? Republicans and Democrats continue to have different answers to those crucial questions. Republican House Speaker Mike Johnson spoke with correspondent Margaret Brennan. The White House says they want to hire more agents. They want to do all sorts of things. And and you are standing in the way in the House. Absolute nonsense. They have to solve the crisis here and throwing more money at the broken system will not do that. Also in play, a federal lawsuit seeking to block a new Texas law, giving authorities there the right to detain suspected illegal immigrants. In the suit, the feds say Texas has no such authority, that immigration is a federal matter, and that the supremacy clause is on the federal government's side. Reporter L.P. Phillips, Texas's law known as SB4, is due to take effect in March. A drone strike on a vehicle in Baghdad has killed a high-ranking commander of an Iranian-backed militia, a possible response to numerous attacks on U.S. personnel by those Iranian-backed militias. More than 100 attacks since October 7th. The militias say their attacks are in retaliation for Washington's support of Israel. It's not clear who carried out this strike in Iraq. CBS's Cammy McCormick, Secretary of State Antony Blinken, is back in the region for more talks aimed at keeping things from boiling over into a regional conflict involving the U.S. Former President Bill Clinton is among the names that appear in the first batch of unsealed documents from the Jeffrey Epstein sex trafficking case. Former President Bill Clinton is one of the biggest names here. And the documents detail his personal relationship with Epstein, including four trips Clinton took on Epstein's private plane in the early 2000s. Fox correspondent Brooke Singman, neither Clinton or other well-known names mentioned in those documents are accused of any wrongdoing in the case. Now, Ford owners listen up. Ford's recalling more than 112,000 pickup trucks over concerns the truck may roll away. It's because of a faulty rear axle hub bolt. Impacted vehicles include the 2021 to 2023 model years. And Elvis Presley will be making his debut on the London stage as an AI Holograph. The British company Layered Reality says their new show, Elvis Evolution, will use artificial intelligence and groundbreaking technology to recreate the seismic impact of seeing Elvis live for a whole new generation of fans. Their news release says a life-sized digital Elvis will share his most iconic songs and moves for the very first time on a UK stage. Now, you're listening to the Noon Report on Family Life. The average American congregation had 65 attendees on the average Sunday. After COVID-era drops, how many of those people have come back? A researcher for a national study is our guest on today's Faith Under Fire.
measuring the ongoing impact of the COVID lockdowns on churches and learning the lessons of the pandemic era. This is Faith Under Fire from Family Life News. I'm Greg Gillespie, and today our guest is Allison Norton, a faculty associate with the Hartford Institute, which is three years through a five-year survey of American congregations. Allison, welcome to Family Life, and could you give us an overview of what you are finding in this survey of American Christianity today? Worship attendance in churches is rising. It is rebounding. Pre-pandemic, churches across the country had a median attendance of about 65 people in person worship on a Sunday morning. That dropped down to 45 in summer of 2021. Now, what's fascinating is we see this number going back up. It is now up to 60. But if you include the hybrid worship reality, so in other words, not just looking at in-person worship, but counting virtual attendance, we see that the median attendance now actually exceeds that of pre-pandemic. It is now up to 75, 15% above the pre-pandemic worship attendance. If you look across the spectrum, attendance has rebounded, but just keep in mind that it's not experienced the same in all congregations. About half of churches have attendance below where they were pre-pandemic, and about a third are now above, it was significantly at more than 5% of growth per year. Um, another positive rebound we see is regarding finances and income. If we compare 2020 to now, we also see an increase in income uh, up about 42% uh, over the past three years. And this is really quite remarkable, even when adjusting for inflation. So I think as we've seen churches shift to online giving, we've seen their giving go up. Uh, this is a trend we've seen in our research for more than 20 years. When congregations emphasize or include online giving, their per capita giving goes up. So many churches have benefited from shifting to online forms of giving. And we also see churches that have postponed capital campaigns or fundraising efforts, um, now launching those efforts, and of course, then seeing higher giving uh, now compared to pre-pandemic. Is there a one-size-fits-all answer to, are we fully recovered? Are we mostly recovered? Are we partly recovered? What is your research telling us? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think what we see is really a mixed message. And, and I think the largest takeaway from our study is that the landscape is unsettled and churches continue to respond to new questions that emerge about, for example, how to do virtual worship, how to create a sense of commitment and community among virtual only attenders who may feel more like spectators than committed involved participants. So um, we see really some churches um, doing well, responding creatively and innovatively, um, being experimental, um, and other churches that, uh, you know, people are tired of this process of change and innovation and just want to go back to the way that things were. Allison, there were a lot of issues and trends happening in the decade and the two or three decades before 2020. Do some of those same issues and challenges, are we getting back to addressing those? Or were some of those troubles interrupted by the reaction to all the things that were happening in the COVID era? 
Well, Greg, our research uh, shows that those challenges and obstacles that congregations faced before that pandemic uh, largely continued to persist. The uh, declining size, declining attendance, aging membership, aging leaders, less appeal to younger generation. These are trends that continue. I think what is somewhat troubling is that early on in the pandemic, congregations indicated a greater willingness to to change to meet these new realities and challenges. But what we see in our most recent 2023 survey is that some of this enthusiasm is waning, that the early creativity and flexibility that was prompted by the pandemic, some of that initiative and, and those uh, ventures, people now are just tired, fatigued, three plus years after the start of the pandemic. Churches and their, their leaders are fatigued and challenged. But at the same time, we do see some helpful stories out of this. We see that churches have embraced tech in new ways, new and creative ways. I think the enduring nature of hybrid options for worship is the prime example of that. Prior to the pandemic, only 20% of congregations offered an online streaming option. Today, more than 70% of congregations across the nation are offering hybrid worship. In other words, some combination of in-person and online virtual participation. This is really astounding. And when we ask these churches, do you plan to continue offering online worship or hybrid worship five years in the future? Um, the vast majority agree that this is here to stay. And I think this is an exciting opportunity to ask new questions about what is does it mean? What are ways to encourage people in the virtual space to see this church as a home community, as a place for connection and a place to be involved beyond simply observing the live stream or the Sunday morning worship service? Allison Norton, our guest today on Family Life, talking about research that will continue for the next two years about how churches are bouncing back from COVID. Check out our news podcast page for links to their research and reports. This is Faith Under Fire from Family Life News. I'm Greg Gillespie. Uh, thank you much, Greg. Faith Under Fire airs Thursdays during the Noon Report or online anytime at familylife.org. Coming up, a family is reunited with a piece of its past. your family life weather forecast that a storm moving up the eastern seaboard brings snow this weekend significant amounts for parts of the area for the day today we'll have flurries and a little bit of lake snow and some breaks of sunshine high temperatures in the mid-20s to the middle 30s dropping tonight toward 20 clouds and some sunshine tomorrow high in the 30s saturday cloudy snow arrives from south to north by the end of the day highs in the 30s and we expect accumulating snow saturday night into sunday heavy east amounts will be over the high ground of central and eastern pennsylvania uh, thank you very much, Kevin. And finally at noon. I once was lost, but now am found. Atlantis Plaza Theater looks very sleek and modern on the outside, but its walls held a true blast from the past when a renovation crew took apart a bathroom wall in preparation for some modernization. Inside, they found an old wallet. And inside, artifacts from 1958. 
black and white family photos, a raffle ticket for a shiny new 59 Chevy, insurance cards, credit cards, and a driver's license belonging to local resident Floyd Colbreth. Well, sadly, Floyd had passed away about 10 years ago, but the crew was eventually able to meet up with her 71-year-old daughter, who still lives in the area, and it's been a treasured discovery for her, her grandchildren, and her great-grandchildren, who call it a special moment to be treasured by them, to be able to hold and view a snapshot from their beloved family member. Plaza owner Chris Escobar says it was like having a time portal inside his theater. That's the world we live in for Thursday, January 4th, 2023. As always, we thank you very much for listening. I'm Mark Webster, Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report, heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.